welcome to Ego Exposed. I'm your host, Jonathan, and we've got a great show for you today. Uh, today is November the 7th, 2017, and I've got Valen and Greg here to talk about uh, ufology, alien life, and the whole secret space program scene. So, Valen, uh, welcome back. Thanks for uh, coming back on the show. Oh, uh, sure. Hi. Glad to have you back. And, uh, Greg, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? So, uh, thank you very much, first off, for having me. I'm excited to do this. I am by no means anyone that is an expert in anything, but I consider myself, which is uh, coincidentally a book that came up today, Factotum, uh, by Bukowski, is a, is about the definition of that word is someone who knows a little bit about seemingly everything. So I've never really, when it comes to things that I don't do professionally, it's just about as widespread as it comes. But with that, uh, I think anyone would be kind of ignorant not to look into, at least at some point in their life, the phenomena of UFOs and where that comes from and, and why so many people have corroborated on certain events and why there's never really been, especially here in the United States, any sort of symbolism of, of disclosure or acceptance of their existence um, on a real, you know, uh, tangible level. And so I think that bears a lot of, uh, you know, that makes a, makes for an interesting concept because of just how many incidents there have been, whether or not they're all real, some real, or, you know, only one is real. Um, the dichotomy of, of existence versus non-existence and sort of the contention that drives at times is very interesting to me. So, you know, I've always taken a little bit of an interest of it and these last two years in my own sort of personal, um, awakening to certain things, I've, just been more cognizant of them, the reality of what they might be. And that's kind of driven me to kind of just look into these things. And uh, I think I find it extremely interesting now, especially just given where we are and finding out how many things have kind of been hidden from us in recent years, you know, whether that's just from the Freedom of Information Act or that's from people waking up more in a actual uh, metaphysical way to the existence of these things or the combination of the two. I don't really know what, what it is, but I find it interesting that, you know, we're finding out about you know, lack of disclosure by our government sometimes and by others. And this whole thing kind of playing a role in that in the background is just sort of a, a tangent aspect of it. You know, we're talking about it with incidents of mass, you know, destruction or, um, you know, huge, ca you know, casualties from a, a civilian standpoint and things like Vegas and this thing in Texas. And at the same time, you have another thing that exists out there that is totally off planet, even by definition, extraterrestrial. But it, it seems to relate. So I, I find it interesting that that's all happening now, and I think it's a perfect time for us to get together and chat about it. Yeah, well, let's dive right in. Uh, you mentioned that it's kind of hard to ignore that, I mean, everybody would question this at some point in their, their life. And, I mean, I think that's true. I think on a philosophical level, we question whether we're alone in the universe. I think it's just a natural question that arises as, you know, out of human consciousness. Uh, the other thing is it's aliens are pervasive in the media. Um, you know, X, shows like X Files, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, all those those movies. It's just everywhere, and so I think we're we're kind of introduced to it through those forms of media as well. So I I think it's inescapable as well uh, to question you know whether the existence of aliens or UFOs or not. Absolutely. So do both of y'all believe in uh, extraterrestrial life out there? What do you think, Craig? Absolutely. I mean, I think without a doubt for me personally, just having even seen some things both in just, you know, dreams, you know, whether or not you want to put any actual tangible real life experience with those, I think that a lot of people in our community and, and people that might be listening to something like this will appreciate or at least draw a connection to. 
Um, but then in reality, you know, I've actually now witnessed some things in the sky and I don't, I didn't see any flying saucers yet. And no one's, no aliens have abducted me that I know of, but I have seen things that I can't describe as normal planes or that show up on, you know, sky tracker as, as satellites. So, you know, what does that leave me left with? Right. And like you said, a second ago with the pop culture influences, I mean, where do these ideas, uh, generate from, you know, what is the genesis of, you know, a show like the X-Files or a movie like Independence Day that seemingly show depictions of creatures that we've sort of made a, an archetype out of, but have never supposedly seen or at least acknowledged their existence. So it's interesting. Has it been a partial disclosure all along embedded in society that we just sort of are now going back to and saying, wow, you know, this is, this is really actually something that we should look at. Um, or at least maybe there's, there are pieces of truth mixed in with total falsehoods, you know, admit that's part of it. Um, so yeah, I, th I definitely do. And uh, I, I think that, you know, I think others are starting to, too. So, Valen, how, how about you? I mean, <clears throat> well, um, uh, I look at it in terms of knowing or not knowing at this point. So, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely believe in them. Um, the thing is, uh, there's so much information, so much stuff out there that you can actually see and filter out. Uh, I, yeah, I'm totally up there with you. And, um, it's, it's interesting how I actually started this whole thing uh, because obviously the official standpoint is that they don't exist. It's just bullshit and you're a conspiracy theorist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I want to, I want to uh, talk about how I actually um, started researching about UFOs. And um, it was, uh, it was interesting that when I was little, um, I, I always had this interest in, in them, but I was little, so I didn't really understand what was going on. I was I would just go online and look at UFO pictures and print them out and show my mom, hey, mom, look, there's a UFO picture, etc. But then I forgot about it. I um, lost myself in the waves of life until, uh, until my first year in university where uh, – I came across this documentary on History Channel about UFO hunters, and I, I just—it all came back to me. Just I remember that I have this interest in UFOs and in extraterrestrial life, and what they exist, what's going on, and oh, how do we begin? And then it all started from there. But uh, I think the main point in anyone, um, whether they believe in UFOs or extraterrestrial life or not, uh, the main point in how to come to a decision about it, I think. Uh, came from a fellow friend uh, on uh, on Reddit, and uh, he put up a very nice paragraph about how to think about all of this stuff that is not accepted by general society. And so if you guys agree, I just want to quote a small paragraph of what he said. So this is quote, quote, uh, MC11's quote on Reddit. It says, before I was red-pilled, a buddy of mine told me about some funny green text he had seen. My response was, yeah, but it's probably made up. His reply stuck with me. He said, maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. It, it didn't click right away, but when it did, I realized that when it came back to facts, I had been putting them on two shelves, true and false. This is very similar to what we do every day. What I realized is the significance of the shelf between these two, the maybe shelf. Once I realized truly how much of what I know has been a carefully crafted narrative, a lot of things went off the true shelf. Soon the maybe shelf was as full as the true shelf. The biggest misconception I had about conspiracy theorists, for example, those who question the official narrative, 
was that they're gullible, that they too freely put things on true shelf, on the true shelf. What I later realized was that for most, this wasn't the case. They had been putting things on the maybe shelf. In fact, it was I myself who had been putting facts on these shelves too freely. So, yeah, this is the end quote. This is basically the, the shelves in our heads, the true shelf and the false shelf. Uh, when we usually hear about things that we don't have enough information about, yes, we do put them on the maybe shelf, but sometimes when we don't have enough information about something, uh, it, 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 if it sounds too crazy, too out there, we automatically ignore it and put it on the false shelf probably. So uh, I want like whoever is listening, I just want to give this advice to anybody who's researching stuff that is out there or unknown or shunned by society, uh, remember about the middle shelf, the maybe shelf. Uh, when, you, when you hear about something, just put it on the maybe shelf. It can be true or false. It can be half true and half false. It can be anything. It's just you are the person who will decide whether it's true or not for yourself in the end. So, And the best way to do that is just acknowledge the information, accept it, whether it's true or false, and then decide on it later on with extra information coming from a myriad of different sources in the end. So this is what I understood to be the best way of approaching this topic all those years back in 2008, and it helped me a great deal. And one of the things about this is never be afraid to be proven wrong. It's okay to be proven wrong. I mean, you can believe in things that turn out to be false. So what? I mean, we have this whole um, outlook on on these topics online that, that oh, you're an idiot, you're, you're a stupid conspiracy theorist. It's an interesting um, label they put on people who believe in out there information. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's not go too tangent on it. So, and... Um, and I would, can, if I could just say something to that, um, Vail, and that quote is a perfect description and in a, a really a, a corollary way to sort of how I look at a lot of things in terms of, and I think this is a major differentiator and this is something that's dictated by your brain too. And the two sides of it that are in a sense in a cohesive battle um, to sort of move your synapses around, right? Uh, you have totally left agree. brain, left brain and right brain ideology is, is comprised of left brain being very order process driven and the, you know, the most binary in nature and, that is typically seen as the, and, and that's that's really how I look at it. It's boxing things into true and false, but because you need the simplicity of those you know, those definitions always, right? The right brain is the side that is the expansive, and it is the one that it always includes a maybe to the, the true and falsehoods that occupy the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding and flexing that side of it and always allowing for another possibility between those other two definitive ones of true and false which really, how many things in life can really be considered true and false? There's always a contrarian argument in some aspect to just about everything on Earth, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to always allow for that third position. And that's and whether or not there's a million things that have to go on the maybe shelf or only one or whatever it is in any situation, the existence of it has to be there. So mm -hmm. just as we think about things in consciousness and, and, and how much is moving at once, the maybe is always a possibility. And allowing for that possibility to be there is, is super important. So that's that's kind of a lot of how I think about not only this subject, um, but a lot of things. And and so it, it directly ties into to I think what the first you know the, the core of it that you must establish first is just to have 
That's a perfect description, a maybe shelf, and a third possibility to every, what you normally would approach as binary and true and false, and yes and no, ones and zeros. Move beyond that to the aspect of the question mark, which is really, that's your maybe shelf, and it's supposed to have a lot of sort of disjointed information in it, but that's what makes your brain such a powerful thing and allows you to make judgments on what's on the maybe shelf. And, you know, I like that term now so much, I think I'm going to keep it. I like that too. Let's give our... uh, yeah, let's give our listeners some some things to put on their maybe shelves. I want to get into uh, some of these whistleblowers that have come out uh, recently, talking mm-hmm. about the uh, the secret space program and and aliens. Because if if you look into this, you know, at some point, if you start to try and and dive deep into ufology and and the abduction phenomenon and all this, certain names start coming up over and over. Um, so let's for people that are listening that would like to you know look into this let's let's give them some of those names. Uh, uh, before Bailey, that, John, yeah. can I can I interject? Um, I want yeah, to sure. um, uh, I want to just make it clear. Uh, there's there's some misconceptions about the subject that uh, people li- listening in who don't know much about the subject might think. I want to dispel them. Uh, uh, there's a very important point. Uh, it's about the evidence. Now, uh, as I have told before, uh, this is my opinion, and everything I will say here will be my opinion. I, I am in no way uh, saying that this is all true and you have to believe in it, or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is what I have uh, decided over the years and over my research. And the thing is, um, one thing you will get used to hearing from official sources of opinion is, where is the evidence for ET life or extraterrestrial aliens, as if there is none? Well, this is a discouragement tactic designed to put people off of their curiosity trail, per se. And it's a huge misleading lie. Uh, The mountain of evidence has gotten so big that the only viable strategy left for them is to completely avoid the subject. So uh, we have video footage. uh, We have declassified documents. We have physical traces. We have radar returns. We have anecdotal footage. Sorry, anecdotal evidence, witness testimony, highly credible witnesses, photos, whistleblowers, leaks. There's insurmountable amount of evidence, insurmountable amount of evidence that points that there is alien life out there. So, I mean, from my point of view, that this is a fact. And from this point on, I will always be speaking uh, on this point. So the rest of the information will be just uh, will we'll go deeper on the categories of all of that and just just to give small um, uh, snippets of the uh, of the different side topics that we will discuss about alien life is uh, I'll, we'll discuss some evidences uh, we'll discuss uh, ancient civilizations how when did they come here were they here all the time we'll discuss how um, how the ET phenomena is related with spirituality and the phenomena of consciousness. We'll discuss channelings, government programs, UFO abductions, different agendas, NASA and their lies, the moon landing, uh, Mars, and all in all the secret space program that encapsulates us all. So, uh, yeah. Guys, I'm feeling this is going to be a multi-parter. Are are you in it for the long haul? It could be, yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, well, so, uh, yeah, kick uh, us off then, man. Yeah, uh, so, like, the evidence, uh, as I've just said, we have ongoing sightings numbering in the thousands annually. I mean, 
it never goes away. This topic never goes away. People like ask at least ten people around you. Like I, I guarantee you, at least one of them will claim that they saw something that doesn't look like any man-made object in the air. We have uh, multiple witness, high-profile, detailed, chronicled events that happened throughout our history. I mean, multiple witness numbering in the hundreds, sometimes thousands, or sometimes tens of people. It's, it's unbelievable. Can you give we me have, an example? Of course. Uh, we have the Phoenix Lights. Uh, we have the Bentwaters incident. We have Roswell, the infamous Roswell that everybody knows Ooh, about. Uh, Rendlesham Forest. Yes, the Rendlesham Forest, which is the, the Bentwaters incident. Actually, it's the same. It's very close to each other. It's both the, both are in the UK. Uh, we have ancient events that have been depicted in art, in pictures, we have stories from. Uh, yeah. Sorry, the the Go Belgium, the Belgium uh -huh. assault from the early '90s was, I think, something of the record is highest concentration of reported sightings of the same type of craft in one area. Mm, I remember again, that. This brings up another kind of a side topic, which I won't go into right now, but like, again, a lot of these have, these sightings have differed in appearance and, you know, description and, mm -hmm. you know, what other, other aspect you want to draw into, but there is a delineation we do we'll have to kind of go into at some point. We'll, we'll absolutely talk about is, you know, which of these are truly extraterrestrial and how many of these are part of the, you know, the back, uh, the back engineer, the reverse engineer craft worse, sort of ideology that, that, that kind of came out of, you know, where a lot of people say sort of post World War II or what the, even during with what the Nazis were able to do. Um, yeah, or extra dimensional. Right. Or something that is sort of us, but, but beyond uh -huh. the scope of our dimension right now. Right. So there, exactly. there's, there's different levels of this that could exist and, and seemingly do. And, mm -hmm. and that's something that's worth sort of differentiating. It's not all flying saucers. It's also not all government TR-3B vehicles, and it's mm -hmm. all not just balls of light. It's They're all out there, and they're sort of all mixed in the subject, and it's important to look at what they all could be when you look at those prior sightings, like, you know, taking, taking into consideration the time of year, or not time, excuse, the, the era of our history, what, you know, military concepts might have been around at that point mm -hmm. versus, you know, where it was and things like that and what, what people saw. It's all it's all related to the same topic, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I love about this is it's so multifaceted it's so complex there's so many different levels to it it's i mean you, there's so many different angles to come at, at this topic. exactly that's that's why I, I think it's a fact at this point but yeah just to continue on the list um you know we we just said uh, multiple witness events high profile events we have contactees we have abductions that never go away uh, we have lots of evidence that the UFO, phenom UFO phenomena existed throughout our history. They were always here, depicted in paintings, writings, cave drawings, myths, uh, religious books. And it's also interesting to note that almost every other culture in human history believed in some form of the existence and visitation of an extraterrestrial entities, except our modern Western culture. Uh, what else? Um, uh, it's also a very interesting note that there are huge motives behind UFO secrecy that we find out and uh, that we're going to go in later on if we have time. And, and real quick, that's that's also one of the biggest arguments from the other side um, that it's not possible to keep a project this large or a cover-up of this magnitude secret. Which yeah, is why it's people not can't a keep a secret anymore. or something. But yeah, I mean, I, I I disagree with that too. I mean, look at the Manhattan Project. Oh, that, that's exactly know. what I was going to say. By the way, yeah. Yeah, I mean that that project was completely black. 
you know, it was it was not on the radar of anyone. Maybe some intelligence agencies in other countries had whispers of it, but you know, even still, if if all of the governments are covering it up, then they'd all be looking out for each other anyway. And it's not that certain stuff doesn't get put out by governments either. I mean, that one incident that I love the video for is the uh, the military video from South America. Oh, who is it? Was it Ch- uh, Chile? Yeah. Yes, Chile. The Chilean. Yeah, the, the Chilean, Chilean military. Navy. It's like a nine-minute long video of a UFO that they track in a, a helicopter, mm-hmm. or or they track on on infrared. film. Yeah, yeah. infrared. <clears throat> and, and it's not it's, the only one, by the way. There uh, there are yeah. a couple of different other uh, publicly shown uh, military videos that show various different uh, versions what, of that. Too. One thing that I find very interesting about that particular incident you just mentioned is it, it combines two parts of what we now know as part of ufology, right? Is it's UFO. And it's also USO because that same military footage includes the UFO submerging and almost meeting with another orb or something. And so that that first did one thing. It, it created this aspect of them really showing us for the first time that these are one and the same. Like these things that, that have supposedly been, been witnessed on the surface of water or something like that mm-hmm. may be, in fact, related to the same things that we see in the sky, right? Yeah. And, and another oh. interesting point about Chile as of that discovery, and I think as of pretty recently they have been one of the other countries of big internet i mean again they're not an economy that's of any scale of ours or china russia that type of thing but a major large-sized nation with at least a sizable population officially acknowledging the existence of unexplainable phenomena in the sky i believe that is now the case there and you know like belgium did after that major incident in the 90s this becomes something um in in a cultural aspect where it can still not exist at least from a government acceptance standpoint in in a major one like ours and so I, I find that interesting, especially given that, that that Navy is the one that caught it. And that, that video has definitely made the rounds. Yeah, and I mean, USOs, I mean, I'm looking at a fact here. NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, estimates 95% of the world's oceans are unexplored. 99% of the ocean floor is unexplored. So really? it's not 99%? like there's not a... Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you think about it. We don't even have craft that can really go down there. Um, uh, what... I mean, we've only sent one or two vehicles down to the Marianas Trench, and mm. it's like a one-person or an unmanned probe. I, I'd that we know that, of. Yeah, that, I mean, well, that's publicized, but it's not like we can just walk on down there that's and actually. check it out. You know, and it's so big. I mean, people don't realize how vast the oceans are. It's it's just, that's the next yeah. unexplored territory, that in space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, USOs, UFOs, unidentified flying objects, unidentified submerged objects. It just goes into semantics. I, and when we understand that these are one and the same, it's just a demonstration of the technology and what it can do, basically, from my point of view. Yeah. All right, so we, we, yeah, uh, I, we've yeah, so covered sorry. evidence. There's, uh, there's at least five or six cases that we went over that I'll link to in the show notes um, that y'all can check out. But... What would you yeah, like before, to continue on to next? Yeah, before we go into that, it's interesting that you mentioned these topics. Uh, there are two questions I think lots of people would love to get our take on. And these two questions are, why the secrecy? And two, why don't they just land on the White House lawn? Uh, I'm sure both of you have all uh, thought about these questions before. Uh, yep. And what, do you, what do you, you think, Greg? Well, so, I mean, the secrecy is probably multifaceted. Um, one part being the technological aspect. Um, one of the major claims, and I, you know, I mentioned uh, Bob Lazar, and if anyone has ever looked up 
this gentleman. He is uh, supposedly, and again, his story is sort of disavowed when it comes to looking him up, um, you know, in, in the CIA records or the FBI records in terms of what he was employed with and, and what he did. But he came out of, you know, saying what, what he encountered in, in Area 51 and working in the S-4, Subbase 4 um, level of the base, which is basically where the top secret reverse engineering supposedly occurs. Um, you know, he said the whole focus there was was reverse engineering a levitation propulsion vehicle system that ran off um, heavy element 115, a, yeah. a super reactive, uh, highly, highly radiative um, heavy metal that will, again, when isolated in vacuum pressure, create an expandable amount of energy and be controllable and create thrust and all this stuff. And the existence of such a thing with a small amount of this supposedly kind of handed down um, heavy element structure, you could have theoretically sort of unlimited source power for the, the most, you know, most of our modern technology. You know, there wouldn't be sort of any sort of overhaul on our, our energy system to be able to create all the power we would need based on what we currently use. Mm-hmm. You know, this drive being able to take you across light years of distance um, safely and such that, you know, would overwhelm the amount of power that we currently occupy on this on this earth. So you know, that was the real focus of what he was doing there. Now, people would always ask him about the other stuff there, like the the aliens and the greys and seeing things. And he was never really interested in that. As a true physics physicist, he, he clearly just concerned himself with creating tech. Um, but, you know, the the, uh, the interest with that base always circled around the secrecy of aliens. So that's what a lot of what people would ask him about. But that's that's a big thing about the secrecy, right, is the technology. Uh-huh. The other part of it would be the fact that I think that there is a government embarrassment over the fact that they just simply don't know sometimes. And so if you take the 1952 flyover Washington incident that, you know, many have said that was the that was the Nazi sort of rogue uh, enterprise that escaped to uh, Schwabia or Antarctica to yeah, right. break away Shri, uh, Shangri-La for the for the fear or whatever, um, you know, whether or not it was them or someone else, you know, the government really just has to say sometimes oh, those are weather balloons or something like that. And frankly, that's, you know, I think that's sort of just trying to continue to keep calm over people when they don't truly understand what would be the best for them always, but sometimes it's just the simplest decision they can come up with. So I think mm-hmm. those are the two parts about the secrecy tech release and just simply not knowing what some things are. Uh, I, I totally agree with your reasoning. Uh, I'm just going to add on to them. Uh, obviously there are, there are probably many, many reasons to this. Uh, but I, uh, I think when we zoom out to the topic, I think um, uh, there's what, what we, get to understand through all of these topics is that there's a higher, bigger reality that like 99% of uh, the human population don't know of about these technologies, uh, life in the universe, uh, physics, spirituality, consciousness, everything. And uh, I think in this regard, the secrecy of the UFOs is very parallel to the secrecy, uh, to the uh, prohibition of psychedelics. For example, psychedelics or uh, marijuana, cannabis uh, makes people want to question life. And stories uh, of aliens also uh, put lots of questions in the minds of the people. Like, who are they? What are they doing? What are? How do they live like? How how are their governments? And uh, what are their technologies? Can we talk with them? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. There are so many questions that will pop up in people's minds if, if this thing is accepted. And these questions unquestionably undermine the power of the government. 
and and, and the, the way of life narrative. exactly the official narrative and how we live our lives which is what uh uh wake up um get brainwashed by our parents uh go to school uh learn about the system that's already in place get yourself acclimated and become part of the system earn your money to survive oh don't forget your debt so you get locked in Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, if you don't uh, abide by any of these rules, you become enemy of the state, enemy of the society, uh, the, 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 the status quo, basically. And any of this information, including including our uh, the the history of human race on on the planet Earth, how uh, how our origins are ba- actually uh, much more older, and uh, how. How ancient civilizations conducted their things, Atlantis, and everything. The, it's, it's, it's just like a Pandora's box. When you open it, Correct. when you when you exactly one when you acknowledge a single part of it, then the rest of it just blows in your face. So this is the biggest reason, in my opinion. And uh, apart from that, yeah, I think I think the second biggest reason are the technologies, because when people know about what's possible, and that this technology exists. Everything changes again, and the powerful people lose their power, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh yeah, it completely flip everything on its heads. Because, and I think that's that's one of the reasons for secrecy as well. Um, let's just say, or let's just ask, what if it's all real? You know, what if this is true and they are hiding it? That means that uh, technology like free energy or um, if not free energy, then a way to generate a large amount of energy from a method that we currently don't understand. So you tap into the vacuum or or however you do it. Let's mm-hmm. just pretend it exists for a minute. That anti-gravity, um, it breaks everything. You no longer have a, a scarcity problem when it comes to resources. You don't have to mine coal and uh, natural gas and uh, petroleum. Um, mm-hmm. If disclosed, we're not just dealing with a few interesting technologies. We're dealing with a whole new understanding of physics that utterly destroys big oil, the petrodollar, and all public utilities, planes, ships, cars, and etc. And I mean, I think a lot of it is they, yeah, they they fear how it would change it too, because I doubt they know either. Um, You know, what if everything just collapsed and and we couldn't handle it in some aspect of of being exposed to everything? And what if it led to you know us just completely annihilating one another? That's that's also a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, humans are reckless creatures. Maybe we're not responsible enough to handle that technology on a collective scale, individually. I maybe. agree. I agree. Um, uh, the but, thing is, I think that's because of the division and and the different uh, abilities that people are given when they come into life, like different financial uh, capabilities that. Uh, create a, a low quality environment and a high quality environment for rich people and low quality environment for poor people who don't get the same opportunity to learn about things in life, and I think that's the main reason why there's so so such a dif- big difference between consciousness levels in, in, on Earth. That's what I think. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I think that really, yeah, just like you said. I mean, I think the the I I. I feel like I should have mentioned it too, but it's a, it was much better well put by you. Um, by allowing the existence of it in some acknowledged way, you immediately give someone a backdoor to the maybe shelf. Mm-hmm. And it almost sort of forces you to corroborate a number of things that you maybe 
compartmentalize onto the false shelf in the past and bring them back out. Very and true. That that dis, that destabilizes establishments. That that makes people not want to engage in the what we consider our most modern semblance of society. If that doesn't exist in the same paradigm, either in part or in full, you know, people stand to lose, even if it's just simply financial or power, you know, influence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At, the, at the core of it. You know, they the way of life. And, and people fear that in a position like that, they fear that. And yeah. you can absolutely understand that if that were the case, there would be a reason to prevent people from engaging that. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it is a ton of people that have that standpoint and are looking to do that, or maybe it's only a few and, and it, it starts to get, you know, clearer day by day now that it may be less and less people, but their power may be that much stronger. Yeah. Um, and, and it, that makes you wonder about the whole idea of just the pyramid scheme mentality of some of these things that mm -hmm. like the Manhattan project or the division of, of any sort of, uh, disclosure or acknowledgement of those below you. Like we've seen that we can sort of control, the outlet of information to people and and do it very effectively mm -hmm. both here in recent times and over the history of humanity um but even so i think that you know right now is this just whether you talk about the last 70 years since the roswell incident maybe as one point to start from or even the last you know 10 or 15 it seems like people are scaling more up to the awakening side of it and that there may be bodies on the other side of it that are trying harder and harder to not let that slip away yeah, uh, and that's interesting to look at, just sort of as you go and as you look back at things that have happened, you know, to, to witness that and see if you notice it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even if it's just one a person here, there occasionally saying that they're now kind of into UFOs when they may not have been before, um, or just odd disclosures that are seemingly a distraction, you know. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. You know, th that's another topic we could go into entirely. But um, yeah, well, when when we go to the second question, um, why don't they just land? Why don't they um, just, uh, if they really are there out there and they're showing themselves to every single person thousands of times, hundreds of different sightings all over the world, why don't they just land on the lawn of the White House? I mean, I think it's the same answer. I think it's, uh, we wouldn't know how to react. You know, humanity as a whole wouldn't know how to react. You know, human beings are smart. People are dumb. And on an yep. individual level... I might be able to handle it, you know, if you sat me down and told me, I'd be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> lines up with what I was thinking, or, but, I mean, if you broadcast it out to the world all at once, there'd be riots in the street, you oh, know, hell people yeah. would be questioning everything they've ever been taught in church, um, you know, their religion, not many religions go into the existence of aliens, so... I, I think it'd be pandemonium. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There may very, be very sure. pockets of people who embrace it and don't freak out or celebrate it, but I think that the majority reaction would be utter chaos. Well, um, the utter chaos part can be discussed and uh, uh, I, talked I about, think, obviously. But I think there's um, one part that you got to add to that too, though. Mm -hmm. Who's who's doing the landing, right? Like. We have to also keep in mind that there is a an existence possibly that there are, you know, life entities, things that take physical, you know, three dimensional vibratory concepts, you know, just like us. Yeah, but before that you can, go into that, Greg, yeah, I, right. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, 
uh, to start with, we're we're saying what if an alien civilization just landed on the uh, lawn of the White House. Uh, but there's a there's a nice example that I want to give. Um, people who are familiar with Star Trek uh, might know about this. Uh, there's a concept in Star Trek called the Prime Directive, and it has to do uh, with the uh, the government the government in, Federation, uh, in, in in Star Trek called the United Federation of Planets not interfering or not, or not showing themselves at all to a civilization who has not developed developed um, faster than light travel yet, which means they don't have the means to go and meet other people and other planets yet. And the Prime Directive has its roots in very different, very deep philosophical um, uh, principles and findings. And basically this has to do with exactly what you were about to get into, which is high consciousness and uh, the right to interfere in the life and uh, perception of beings who are not yet ready for the level of uh, interaction or uh, knowledge of other beings in different in different planets. And uh, Prime Directive is very sim uh, I, I think it's very similar to what they're doing, which is basically there's myriad of reasons that that um, that uh, the the sudden re revelation of an alien spacecraft and alien beings on any uh, any place on Earth that might have people who are um, not yet ready for this kind of interaction. Uh, it's, it's an explosive subject. People can react in myriad of ways. Uh, regardless of how they could react in that specific situation, it could have very it, it it not it's it's not a whether of it could or not it will definitely have very very deep effects in 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 how that society develops over time and how their view of life and reality changes etc cetera, etc cetera. and I, I well in terms of prime directive no consciousness no being should have um um this this right to interfere and and uh and affect such a profound uh, change in any civilization's past, in my opinion. This so if I can just say this too, yeah, because I'm think, thinking of this right now. So the, uh -huh. the episode or the, and the concept is called prime directive. Uh -huh. That if you break that sentence down, prime being the first and directive being mandate or uh -huh. in a sense, a one law or the law of one, which is the exact same yeah. story and concept that I'm, you know, mentioned, like was kind of alluding to here, which is that in that, in that description, in that channeling series that was done in the eighties. And again, I, I recommended that anyone that hasn't looked into that to look into the law of one, even if you just read it with, um, you know, pure cynicism and, and doubt, I would say that the lessons and sort of the messages within that are definitely profound. But beyond that, one of the things they do specifically talk about is that they're, you know, some beings that do come here don't, you know, don't appear in this three-dimensional, you know, physical reality. concept that we have reality that, that, that is not exactly, that is not it. They're not on, they're not on it. And their appearance when they take light formation and things like that, that you might see in the sky is to simply draw the question of, of what if know, their existence, what if, right. Mm -hmm. And so they don't even have that or they, not that they can't, but that they don't even typically do that. Right. So that there is an idea that they're not even trying to engage us in that level. They want us just to open up a different door altogether. Not that aliens exist or something like that, but that our consciousness is meant to go to a higher place. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
I find that as a just a, an interesting thing anyway that that's called prime directive and law of one is I mean it, maybe I'm looking too far into that but I love that that's even just a correlation. Um, but yeah, it's exactly right. Interfering and impacting the way that people's their their free will um, is a is basically an absolute no no according to uh, mm-hmm. the, the channeled entity in that story. Raw, um, you know that is something that you can't do. So, you know that that type of consciousness being might you know from that theory and that theology would not want to do that, right? So that's why, if if, if any reason, um, in addition to the fact that if it was some other type of being it might just freak people the hell out. It's, it's the same issue if it's a different kind of being, but the possibility of there being multiple types of things that could be on UFOs or considered extraterrestrials allows for there to be a few different reasons why it might not happen. Um, but I think that's really interesting. That was a really interesting point um, and exactly what I was going to say. So, cheers. Okay, so we, we're going to talk briefly about ancient civilizations, uh, but we're going to save most of the the good juicy stuff for another episode but uh in the bible for example you've got the book of ezekiel uh where ezekiel sees this immense cloud of fire and smoke with lightning and uh it says the center of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures uh, so are these angels, you know, is this a vision? Is Ezekiel doing mushrooms or other ancient psychedelics? Or is it aliens? Or an alien is just something not from Earth coming down to visit them. So... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, we have uh, innumerable amount of depictions from ancient civilizations, ancient myths, ancient stories that depict sky gods and beings coming down from the heavens... Obviously, this is all um, attributed to gods and their myths. But, but if 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 we imagine a world where extraterrestrial life is accepted and known, uh, these depictions become a different story, and uh, and it's it's very very possible to think of these depictions as um, as uh, alien beings, extraterrestrial beings landing on Earth and giving information to many different individual societies and etc. Uh, there are tons of different examples that we can cite. Uh, we can cite the South American Mayan ancient myths and their depictions and their uh, carvings. Uh, we can talk about the uh, Vimanas in India, uh, but exactly like the story of Ezekiel comes to mind which uh, Eric von Danikan did very good work on. Uh, he uh, took the story, uh, he, he um, took all of different uh, versions of it and tried to picture or uh, CGI this whole thing as it was depicted in the story. And um, it eerily shows a, um, a technological object coming from the sky, landing, uh, interaction between people inside this object and Ezekiel and where they took him and what they tell him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, what do you guys have on this story? Well, and I what think, think? that the, the interesting one that comes out of the New Testament in, if you look to Revelations and a Revelation and John's vision of the, of the Messiah um, now I look at it from the international standard version, but basically if you look at this description of a person that visits him, he says they, they, 
describe it as him seeing the Son of Man and it's seeing Jesus. But the description goes, he's wearing a long robe with gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, in fact, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like glowing bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of raging waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun when it shines with full force. So I think of a quote like that and I say, well, was this guy on DMT? Or was this an alien encounter of some kind or something that is just non, you know, beyond the dimensional description that this person had prior to that? And that's the same thing I think about when I read Ezekiel 1. You know, I don't have any way to tell you what exactly he is seeing there, but I, it opens up the possibility when you take like a person's Eric Von Daniken's, you know, approach with it and look at it that way. It does make you wonder. So, you know, very much I agree with you. The, you know, the ancient evidence in places that we just simply, whether or not you have an answer or you don't, the one thing you can say for a fact is that the descriptions that historians will tell you about places like Egypt, the pyramids, and uh, you know the construction of things like like we talked about the Vimana in, in India, um, they don't they don't add up, and that that makes you wonder if something that just doesn't go along with our linear pattern that we've tried to kind of make our history, if it doesn't line up with that, it's okay to question that it could have been something else, and if it's not going to be our super easy to understand linear track track record, then. You know, maybe we should look at it like it could have been. Put it on the maybe shelf. This could have been alien, and it could have been us from a different time dimension or something like that, or just a different culture we didn't understand. I cannot agree with you more. Um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, uh, theory I've heard is the gray aliens, which is one alleged species of many, uh, is actually humanity from far in the future where we've genetically modified ourselves to the point uh, where we can't breed anymore mm -hmm. and they've come back uh, to see or to experiment and see where they went wrong. By the way, for those who are interested in this Eric von Däniken's approach to the story of Ezekiel, uh, I think there should be uh, a video online somewhere on the internet uh, where he actually uh, CGI'd uh, to the best of their ability uh, the story of Ezekiel and how he met this being who basically yes. he, they, yes. they yeah, graphicized this whole thing and uh, there should be a video of it somewhere. Uh, I believe. Yeah, we'll find a link and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, there's also he's his book from uh, 1968, Chariots of the Gods. Uh, it, he talks about that's where a lot of these uh, theories are written about originally. Yep. So yep. you can read about it there. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, Eric von Däniken is one individual out of many who is also a controversial figure. And there have been claims about him uh, with fraud and other stuff. Uh, I tend to view the information from an objective point of view. And um, uh, I don't, I try not to judge the source of the information, regardless of how it the, the information turns out to be false or true or maybe. Uh, so I, I suggest everyone to do the same, just uh, even though the source might have some uh, bad publicity about him or her, uh, just accept and absorb the information they give, even though it could be false or true. Again, we come back to the maybe shelf. And I think that's a very uh, important point of view. To be human is to error, so people can mm -hmm. have mistakes in their history. Definitely. They have extremely accurate information, and that's that's seen in multiple ways with eccentric personalities and people that just have come from different places. But their information should not be disregarded because of that, and that's really important to keep in mind. Yes. 
Yes, very well. And you know, it's a lot. I mean, the internet's a nasty place too. And and if you talk about this stuff online, I mean, I'm I'm sure we'll eventually get, you know, hate mail or something about it. But oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, I mean, why does it matter to you if what I think about anything? You know, what does it matter what I believe or? I mean, why should why shouldn't we question these things? Hey, and in some people's if, eyes, we're all crazy, right? Definitely. I, I, yeah, I mean, but it we we found evidence to support certain theories in the past that have la- later been changed by evidence that's found in the future. Mm-hmm. So, what's to say that we know anything at all? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Right, and I think that's I mean, it's, a, it's always changing. We're always learning new things, and to think that we have it all figured out now is completely naive and misses the point of searching for truth and new knowledge. All a matter of perspective. Yeah, I, I think one thing I conceptually always try to, you know, keep myself grounded with is like the idea of you know, in tandem with all this stuff that I look into, is also obviously like theories and and, and field descriptions of how everything in in human in life works, right? And you always come to this paradigm about the observer and the, you know, the existence of how you impact with what you are experiencing and how you can never really truly go outside of your universe to the point where you can observe all of it and describe all of it, right? Just like you Mm -hmm. can never look at all 360 degrees of, Mm -hmm. you know, minutes of arc of any three-dimensional object because we see things in two dimensions, right? Like you, we are lacking that paradigm description because we can never observe the whole of it so anyone that tries to box it all in i think is the only way that you're wrong as long as you open up the possibility that there's other options and don't close them out entirely that's it doesn't really matter to me what you think as long as you're not trying to oppress people from thinking something else but if you just try to box everything into one story alone then i think that that's really the only position that gets you in trouble um in my view and again i think that you know people just need to be respectful of each other when it comes to this stuff but you know, there shouldn't be anything offensive about wanting to think differently. And, you know, I think if you try to challenge people in, a, in an aggressive or, ag- you know, again, shut down manner with some people, that could be seen as that. But overall, yeah, I think that, you know, people do have to just allow for the existence of possibilities outside of the only one that they've ever thought of, if that is the case. So yeah, our, our I, mean, I think that's valid. Yeah, our suggestion is basically uh, don't take the people who reply to you when you when you express your opinions online don't don't take the replies too seriously um yeah just just that's something that i still having trouble with <laughs> as some of my friends know but yeah just don't take them seriously just stick with what you know and try to be honest with yourself and uh, you always always reach the truth so um so we've we got about some ancient right Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that's I think it's worth noting some even more recent things that people see. And, um, you know, like not not to the point of where we're going to get to with the really recent stuff, but things like the Lady of Fatima in Portugal uh, in 1900. Something, you know, that this is sort of a, a depiction and a phenomena that a number of people saw and what it really was. No one can really be sure at this point. But the point is, this is happening in you know a time prior to our technological advancements. Um there's incidents of people reporting things that may not really be a sighting, but something that was driven out of a cultural need, like Aurora, Texas, 1897. Why not? Largely thought of just a struggling economy that needed something to draw people to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the thing in Portugal, you have a lot of people that saw something on some really oddly specific dates that were, uh, you know, very much coordinated, it seemed, on a, a numerological level. 
Mm-hmm. And then you get into, you know, sort of the modern era, right? So we get to mm-hmm. World War II, and I think that's really like the point that we will probably jump off from, because this is where it becomes the military and the alien and the UFO become intertwined, right? Mm-hmm. Inextricably. Mm-hmm. Whether you want yeah. to put it in World War II like I do, and I think you probably, guys probably know about a lot of, or if people that don't know about it will probably start. Well, let's pick, um, sorry to interject, sure. but let's, the first UFO sighting, um, of the modern century is Roswell. One... Well, no, it's not Roswell. It's, uh, it's in Kenneth Ohio. Arnold. Oh, Kenneth you mean Arnold, you mean you mean the sighting? June twenty fourth, nineteen forty seven. The UFO yeah. spark, sighting that sparked the name Flying Saucers. Uh-huh. Um, that that to me is, is symbolic of the beginning of the ufology movement as we know it today, the the modern UFO era. Uh-huh. The that's flying like the correct also what Wikipedia that's like, says. So. Yeah, that's the correct date, really. I think that most people, if you asked you know, 100 people in, a, in an audience, they're going to probably point to a few months later in Roswell. But essentially, yes, like that's really where it started chronologically. That is the right moment for the modern American post-World War II. Again, if you dig further, you're going you're gonna to get to Operation Paperclip and sort of what was going on over there. Um, but realistically, that same time period, you know, the same yeah. year. Um, there, there are definitely uh, events that happened before Roswell, uh, like crashes correct. and other stuff. Okay, but, but yeah, Roswell so I, I'm sorry. So one. let's. Roswell was the one that it brought into publicity. And actually, yep. it, was, it was the first, I think, uh, if I'm not uh, mistaken, it was the first one that was publicly stated in a newspaper. The first time it happened, it was, it was depicted as a flying saucer crashes in Roswell. And three days later, uh, the mil- military was uh, compliant on this for three days, and three days later they changed their story into it was a weather balloon or something. Uh, they, they decided to put a lid on the whole subject when Roswell became publicized the first time. Right, right. that's why it's very uh, important. Yeah. Yes, and the okay. evidence so, for that. So case sorry, is... let me. Sure, sorry, let me back yeah, up. Yeah. I was I was wrong. You were right. Uh, World War Two. There was the Foo Fighters. The uh, Battle of Los Angeles. So yeah, it does go back before 1947. I was wrong on that. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, no problem. Um, and I think it's it's kind of a good note too that people, if they just want to do the most basic research into whether or not some of the stuff has not been disclosed correctly, look into the facts that corroborate. You know what happened with the publicity, the photographs, the timing, and the appearances of certain army personnel related to the Roswell crash because it's mm-hmm. documented. It was so highly publicized and then, you know, uh, disseminated and then quickly dis- uh, you know, closed out in a certain way, but it was documented in the pictures, in the timestamps, in the messages even on the things that when when correctly analyzed show that this was shifted from one story to another. And you're right, the local the local military staff was overtaken in command at a certain point and that's when the dictation changed. And but the you know given what we have now from a standpoint of just technology and, and accumulating this stuff and looking at it with as many eyes as we have, you know people have started to figure some things out. So I would I would recommend the listening audience to to look into that too. If you just want to start somewhere, look at it even publicly acknowledged in a way. Not not to mention how uh, the witnesses have continued to corroborate their information from multiple points of view throughout the years. It's very important. Right. Yeah, these people don't usually change their stories as far as like abductees or uh, witnesses. Yeah, they don't. They don't usually backpedal. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But yeah. Um, so we talked about ancient civilizations. Um, 
I want to delve into a very important side topic with the UFOs because it's interesting from my own point of view. Uh, in, in modern times, most people have heard about spirituality, uh, the, the curiosity of the consciousness, who we are, and um, how the meditations and gurus and all that kind of stuff. And I, I never was into these kind of things. I never knew anything about these things until I came to a point during my UFO and ufology research that that was deeply connected with this topic. And uh, I inadvertently had delved into this topic as well and found out that it was very, very intertwined with each other. Uh, so what do we mean by spirituality? Um, so when we talk about alien life, talk about uh, government programs and how, how every, every, all different sides of this topic, uh, there's this sort of consciousness and, and understanding side uh, of this whole topic, which is uh, which which mainly comes from channelings. So, for the people who don't know what a channeling is, it, it's um, it's basically a telepath. It's it's considered to be a telepathic communication between people who have uh, uh, between basically different consciousnesses. This consciousness can be a human being, an alien being or uh, a being in a higher dimension, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not to go so deep on the subject, it's uh, sufficient to know that there are thousands and thousands of different channelings that are claimed to be supposedly from alien beings, from uh, consciousnesses that have passed over to the uh, spirit realm, or, or from consciousnesses from other dimensions. And uh, they talk about information about a alien life, about human life and about all kinds of things and as a person who was just getting into this information this was very new to me and it was very interesting so I um, again put it on my maybe shelf and I considered what if and I started reading them uh, well it was very very eye-opening uh, first of all but uh, Suffice it to say uh, that uh, not all of them, obviously, are considered to be true or whatnot. Uh, but there's a huge connection. What's important is that there's a huge connection with, with, with the question of who are we? What are we doing here? Uh, what is life and what is reality? And the concept of spirituality is a concept of going within and questioning oneself and understanding this concept is very key to most of these channelings and uh, most of the communication or supposed communications between uh, ET life and, uh, and human beings all over the years or over our history. Uh, uh, do you guys have, any, have anything to add on to this? Uh, absolutely. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Right? You, you obviously you know, put it quite well. They could be true, they could be uh -huh. untrue, right? Uh -huh. That is a, that is an inevitable fact of a or channeling both. because of uh, right. Like it, it can be both the one and the same at some certain points depending on. And some people have to be law, lying just due to probability. Right, I mean, like it's... there's there's that has to exist, right? So you can go ahead and look at the, you know, the the vast amount of them and make your own decision on it. But one of the things you have to take away from it is not just the fact that it can be boxed in as true or false, but what is really being said by a lot of it. You know, take take the aggregate 
of it and look into it that way. And you're right, because again, any one of them can be stood alone and say, that's bullshit. She was just lying or he was just lying or just saying whatever he wanted. But at the other hand, you have to also open it up to, well, they could be completely telling the truth or not even talking. They could be actually channeling something. And that has to go on that maybe shelf. You cannot do it one way or the other. Also, it doesn't have to do with alien life, by the way. And it has, there are so many challenges that have to do with so a myriad of different topics right. like there there was this um uh, very famous book that have been uh read by millions of people called conversations with god the series of uh the titled uh, conversations with god one two and three written by neil donald walsh which the author claims to have spoken to god which is also considered channeling in, in its in its own way and uh aliens is a very 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 small part of it from from what I remember. Yeah. God speaking to Moses through the burning bush is technically a channeling. Oh, there you go. There you go. Right. And what, I mean, maybe if if Moses is not speaking the words, I guess, because I, I don't know. I mean, if to me, a channeling is the message from the other consciousness coming through either through you speaking or through something like auto writing or auto drawing where you're, just writing kind of the first i wouldn't even say it's the first thing that comes to mind because it's it's the thing that comes before it, the it, mind <laughs> yeah it's it's the message that's being delivered to you or or whatever you're tapped into uh that that's downloading into your brain um so you're just kind of manifesting it onto the page or speaking it or however it it manifests Right. And one thing I would add too is when I describe, you know, like I sometimes now I say alien and I, I think I need to, you know, distinguish it. Like alien to me now just means foreign, you know, in a sense, like very true description. Very true. Like, so I, because I have no personal contact with any of them, everything that isn't describable as something I know isn't in a sense is alien. And that's really what that word even means. But just, just know, interject we, here. I mean, I yeah. mean, uh, in, in, in ancient times, um, a, a person from the continent of Africa could have seen as an alien to the person who was from, I don't know, USA or uh, in, in North America or whatnot. Basically, an alien is what we call as a foreign in, in its core, which means basically aliens that we know of today, like extraterrestrial civilizations that may or might not come from another planet, is basically it's just another landmass that they're coming from. And it's just... It, you could see it as another continent. Right. right. Yeah. It's just a different perception of physical mm-hmm. location and reality and, you know, dimensional separation. It doesn't have to necessarily be anything spatially defined. It's just a matter of foreign or not, uh, you know, local to you in a sense. That's, that's what alien is. I mean, again, unless you really have a personal inter- or a, you know, a built up description that's so personal to you of what an alien is that they look like this and they're this color or something like that. Anything that is beyond, you know, your tangible description would lie in the case of alien in a sense. So that's, that's a good thing to kind of keep in mind is like, it's just beyond us in a sense. And I I think that that's kind of similar to what even the prophetic descriptions would, would be talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. talking through something that is not the normal means is foreign and it is alien. And it's, it's the same kind of conceptual. It's it's the same, really the same concept. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, so channelings and, and the spirituality and consciousness. Um, I, I've read hundreds of different channelings from tens of different sources and uh, lots of beings that claim to be from wherever they claim to be. Uh, 
what I suggest people is um, look over them. I mean, uh, just read them from a what if perspective. Read them from the maybe shelf, and uh, just just consider if they were true when you're reading. Yeah, read it from the point. I mean, what does it matter if this is a, a channeling or if this is this person's original thought and they just or adding that as a flavor. I mean, mm -hmm. the message, I think, is what matters in a lot of cases. You know, sure, you can look at the, the author behind it, and they may have ill intentions, and I think that's a lot of people's Definitely. concern. Mm -hmm. um, so let's get into this. this just is because, good... like... Oh, well, no, go ahead, go ahead. I want you to finish. I... Well, I was going to say, I mean, just, just because a... How can I put it? Just because a... Uh, a con man may be selling you some snake oil doesn't mean there's not a few flakes of gold in there. Mm -hmm. It's just up to you to kind of sift it out and understand what it is fully and not just pass it by mm -hmm. without a second mm -hmm. glance. Um, I mean, don't, don't get taken in by anything, you know, try to be aware of it's, it. It's but... undeniable that some of these might, might be false and maybe uh, half false, half true or whatnot. I'd say focus on what it what it makes you feel like. Focus on the effects it has on you. Does it make you feel afraid? Does it make you feel uh, more closed up? Or does it make you feel more relaxed and open? Well, you got to go a step further than that. I mean, examine how you feel, but then examine why you think you feel that way. And, you know, then look into that, the cause definitely. of that reason. Definitely, definitely. Because, I mean, I can... I can spout word i mean a movie can make me feel a certain way i think looking at just purely emotion is, is gonna tend to bias yeah. um yeah one way or another and i that what couldn't you know be stressed more to to not have too much of a bias and you know when we're getting into the spirituality and consciousness thing and also bring it into the modern like again people want to talk about evidence and things that existed to to kind of drive us to you know a real whether you want to talk technological usage of, of the alien or extraterrestrial world or just, you know, what it means from a military standpoint, let's, you know, this is a good point to jump into where some of this stuff even came from in, in its, its relation to our science programs here. Going back to, you know, the people that sort of were around in the early 1900s that got us to this point, right, or at least were the foundation of it, you want to talk about the, you know, the Nazi societies and the things that kind of were behind the National Socialist Party, not not you know the 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 genocide or anything that part, but these secret societies that the, the ideology SS yeah. right that the SS were sort of drawing into right, and that includes you know looking at the Vril Society and the Thrill Society, and what these people were talking about was truly the Orgon energy, the metaphysical oneness, right? Controlling that and finding that negative, positive balance to the point where you can expose it on scalar levels at either end, right? Which That's is basically a different understanding of physics, right? right. Or, or a reality, a different perspective. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I look at it like this. Just because Dr. Evil is a bad freaking person doesn't mean that I can't use his sweet-ass laser for good purposes <laughs> if I can get my hands on it. Mm -hmm. You know, just because the we can't be afraid to look into these things because we're scared of of what the implications are, of what these people thought. thought. You know, we can't be afraid to examine evil people, and I think that's a, a lot of people's hang-ups uh, today. Examine everything, right? Like, again, Question there's a ton every, of... Yeah. There's a ton of really, really bad things about 
the people associated with that entire German National Socialist Nazi party, right? But there's also some really, really interesting aspects to why they came about and what they actually discovered that could be relative to the positives that we need to uncover from them, right? And that's that really relates to this these theories of consciousness and energy and the the construct of our entire universe and how it's different than what we might understand. I totally agree with you, which brings us completely into uh, government programs and right. how this whole subject is being suppressed and how all of this information is leaked through a myriad of different ways. Right. So we have, after World War II, we have our Operation Paperclip. We're stealing Nazi scientists left and right. Right, we're, we're scrapping with the big names: Warner von Braun, guy who started NASA, um, Bernard Tessman, Kurt Blom. I mean, and just to quote one guy, right, Hermann Orbeth, who is a rocket designer for Germany during World War II, the V2 guy, or one of the later V2 guys, and later worked for us. We cannot take credit for our record advancement in certain scientific fields alone. We have been helped, and we have been helped by the people of other worlds. It is my conclusion that UFOs do exist are very real, and are spaceships from another or more than one solar system. They are possibly manned by intelligent observers who are members of a race carrying out long-range scientific investigations of our Earth for centuries. This man created rockets for us. He is not a just a nobody. So, so this, this, is, this is Warner Von Braun from Operation Paperclip. And, and Operation Paperclip, just to confirm, was after the end of World War II... These 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians who worked for Nazis, von Braun, mm -hmm. who worked for the Nazis and were Nazis, came to work for the U.S. government. They were uh, held exempt from the trials, and they were secretly smuggled into the U.S. to help uh, uh, scientific development in U.S. We have here this foundation that that you know our space, our national aeronautics and space administration is founded by half German SS researchers and scientists, right? Mm -hmm. You want to call them Nazis, you want to call them um, SS, you want to call them just German, or whatever German you determine, right? But it, what it teaches you is that the at the very core of what would take over as our really far outreaching technological research primary data, source of information about space. Right? Is, is is made out of an amalgamation of American military and German military interests, meaning it is not founded on any principle of of a sovereignty. It is based on f reaching far. And what is told to us and what is not told to us is absolutely, by definition, going to be a, a permanent fixture of that, meaning there is going to be secrecy embedded in that because the only reason something like that would go so far as to exist at its foundation would be to have the most technology, and therefore we as individuals are not going to be told about anything that we don't need to know about necessarily, right? Very true. That is, that is a foundation, that is a concept of this, and that's, that is a, a big part of that era that began then. So in long, after that, you're going to have people that come out, right? And people are going to talk about what they know, whether it's part of a, a USAP or a secret space program initiative or a, an acknowledged program that had other discoveries in it, right? So let's begin to talk about whistleblowers, people that came out and talked about what they knew. And Where it's, do you a, want to start? it's a great connection between the two topics. 
basically whistleblowers are very very important what is a whistleblower a whistleblower is a person who um uh, blows the whistle on a project on a topic on, a, on an operation on action that have been done in secret and this whistleblower wants the public to know about it and they, they uh they're termed whistleblowers the first thing that comes to mind about whistleblowers which was also uh, one of the biggest things that opened many people's mind to this reality, including mine, I was flabbergasted when I first saw it, uh, was a disclosure project uh, conducted by Stephen Greer. It was an amalgamation, uh, a collection of many credible, highly credible whistleblowers, and uh, they all talked about their involvement in this secrecy and how they were exposed to this reality in different parts of secret government projects and um, operations. Exactly what Greg was talking about, Werner von Braun. Uh, one of the whistleblowers in Disclosure Project was uh, the personal assistant of Werner von, Werner von Braun in NASA. And she talks about what he talked about and how he came to be in the project and what he was, how he was helping everything. And it was, uh, it, it's definitely something that we suggest to our listeners to look into. But uh, whistleblowers, uh, it, whistleblowers is very, whistle, the term whistleblower is very important in, in this subject because uh, in an environment of secrecy, uh, whistleblowers become very, very, very valuable. And uh, most of our knowledge actually come from whistleblowers. And uh, we have tens of different whistleblowers all from different works of life all from their own perspectives what's important to understand at this point is that every single whistleblower that you might listen to or you may you might hear about the story that they tell is from their own perspective you have to understand you have to accept that it's from their own perspective of the whole thing is this this might be a, just a very uh, unrelated very unimportant foot soldier that was just uh put on guard of this hangar that involved ufos in it it could be this uh this person who inadvertently become became uh a preview to ufo knowledge and it was just uh, briefed in suddenly and and these people just uh, even though they're not supposed to, at one point in their life, they decide to talk about these things. And it's up to you to decide if they're telling the truth or not, or just put them on the maybe shelf. They have been the source of our information. But then again, there have been government programs that have been already conducted over the years that have to do with this information. We have uh, everything uh, about the Area 51, the infamous Area 51 that have been uh, topics to myriad of different movies. We have uh, we have the whistleblower Bob Lazar, who was a an, a physicist, an employee in Area 51, who came out. Uh, we have the Blue Book Project, which was a public project uh, intended to uh, assess the importance of UFO sightings, and which we later came to know that it was just a publicity uh, event to put people off. Uh, of the seriousness of the subject, and that uh, uh, and that most UFO sightings could be just explained away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and one one important thing to note about that project too mm -hmm. is there were six people that chaired it, and five of them would totally, basically encapsulate what you just said, basically just you know, you know dis dismissing it as non-existent, 
as explainable as as people having you know synapses and malfunctions and just not not seeing things clearly. Whereas one individual and I, I his name escapes me, one of the military you know former uh, either generals or staff sergeants that was part of this basically corroborated that this was in fact real for these people and went against the greater message of that. So for all those doing their research out there, look into that and, and, and make your own judgments on that one because it was not exactly as it's represented all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, the publicity came with the Roswell event. and I believe, uh, I believe that was Hynek. Um, Alan Hynek, you mean? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look it up now on uh, Project Blue Book. Uh, Hynek was an associate member of the Robertson panel, which recommended that UFOs needed debunking a few years later, however, Hynek's opinions about UFOs changed, and he thought they represented an unsolved mystery deserving scientific scrutiny. As the only scientist involved with U.S. government UFO stu- studies from the beginning to the end, he could offer a unique perspective on projects, sign, grudge, and blue book. So our listeners have to understand that uh, these people were involved in these projects. These people were actually uh, members of the government who were subject to the laws and and the rules of their respective organizations and basically anything any deviation from their orders would mean would have serious repercussions on their lives so it is sort of understandable that some of them change their narrative over time there are many whistleblowers who have uh maintained their silence all their lives throughout their lives and then once they realize that they're on their deathbed uh, they're really old, they start to talk about their experiences. To me, this is very important. To me, I think they require a listening. They, they, they require people to hear them. But yeah, that's basically it. And Roswell brought about the, the swamp gas rhetoric, for example. Uh, at first, all these sightings were just um, jokingly uh, explained away by just saying that they were swamp gas, or it, it just came up from a, a certain explanation of a single sighting, but then it was just uh, continued on. Uh, yeah, weather balloons, swamp gas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What, 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 what the listeners have to understand, from my point of view, is that there was a extremely strict policy of denial, and and as we talked uh, earlier in this podcast they had to maintain this denial in order to keep the secrecy. Because the moment you accept a single uh, unexplainable phenomena as to be true, then questions arise. Then, then more uh, attempts at uh, discovering the unknown pop up from everywhere. So they had to deny everything somehow. So the denial uh, policy started with Roswell. And then... And then uh, Greg was talking about how the Nazis influenced in, uh, the NASA rhetoric, and then, and then NASA. If you if you look at the whole thing, NASA is basically for a very long while is is most of how our information uh, about space came from, basically. And they if 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 they were going to omit this whole reality, they had to lie constant consistently. So we have this consistent stream of lies coming from NASA, which we'll also delve into later, uh, uh, involving NASA TV, a channel that they uh, uh, broadcast live from the International Space Station and stuff that's uh, seen on live on TV, etc. 
And uh, we also have the deep underground military bases, uh, which Area 51 is a part of. Dumbs. Uh, Area 51. Dumbs, yeah, uh, as uh, shortened out. Uh, uh, Area 51 is not the only deep underground military base the uh, U.S. military had. There were many, uh, uh, most of which we will not go into this time. But we also have whistleblowers who have worked in different dumps and uh, mm-hmm. told extraordinary stories. Uh, you have anything to add to this, Greg? No, but I think that um, you know, mentioning Area 51 and, and the project at Groom Lake and what a lot of this kind of relates to, too, is that you know, these places are embedded in tandem with uh, acknowledged pieces a lot of times. So just like a special access program is both existent but not disclosed, these bases, just like next to Nellis Air Force Base, which has restricted airspace under Air Force terms, is where you find Area 51, a deep underground base that is not acknowledged and not publicly viewed. And it's sort of like that's where you get this mix of disclosure with non-disclosure or secrecy and um, overt sort of actual operation that you you know is is part of our just our never our, our normal military uh, you know system in a sense, um, which is important to keep in mind where these things exist. Even if you want to go and just think of examples right now, deep underneath Denver International Airport, what do we now have? A lot of people, including CIA headquarters, right, right uh-huh. embedded with the obvious oh, and the dude, overt. Denver Airport's weird as hell. Okay. Man. I've heard so it's... many different things about the Denver Denver Airport. Yeah. Right. Oh, I've I've flown through the... Denver, and it's it's there's so much so much occult symbolism everywhere. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's just a good example of how they use the overt with the you know the the hidden right. It is it's just done that way occult. to yeah. further further muddy the waters a little bit, and mm-hmm. and that that plays into these deep bases too. They're often part of existing and and recognized military operations that you know do normal things, and and with them in tandem is these. Well, what you would say not so normal or obscure things yeah, that that and that falls in this category. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, we can talk about all of these Area Fifty One dumps. Uh, they 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 can all have their own podcast because there's so much information into uh, in, into these topics from coming from myriad of different resources, and they all. Yeah, let's not forget this is part one. Yeah. So yeah, we're definitely going to continue later on, and um and uh, they they all require uh, delving into definitely because there's so much information that needs to be uh, weighed but um, yeah other than government programs uh, we have we also have the big topic of UFO abductions uh, which has been a source of uh, comic relief on these topics which has been used as a point of ridicule of of this subject many times over I'm reading this book uh, right now, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, and it's the movie by the same name was loosely, uh, loosely based on it. Um, which note, I haven't seen the movie, so that's all I Wait, can say about that. Wait, are you saying the fourth um, kind or the third kind? The fourth kind. Okay, so the this third is, kind is when not... you see a UFO. Okay, so this is not uh, 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 that uh, famous movie director's movie, the old movie. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, that was a movie I remember. It's not. Yeah, that no, that's that's uh, that's a good movie. Um, that's Spielberg. But in this book, they describe the different types of encounters, mm-hmm. and it's it's. Uh, I'll try and post it in the show notes. But it's the first kind. Uh, well, I'll just skip to the third. The third is when you see a UFO um, or you encounter 
uh, beings, the fourth kind is when you actually are taken by them and you experience an abduction where you are taken by beings or thought that you were uh, taken. And they have this conference at MIT, a whole bunch of investigators in the uh, ufology community, hypnotists who have, uh, or therapists, psychologists who have treated UFO abductees, are there uh, people from MUFON, which is the, uh, what is it, uh, Mutual Unidentified Flying Object? Network. Network, yeah. The people who investigate uh, UFOs um, and report them or document them. Yeah, the sightings. They have their own web, web website, and you can I, go I on. I just uh, literally refer to them as MUFON now. I don't even think about uh-huh. what they're actually yeah, acronym yeah, stands for. I'm just, they're just their own entity. <laughs> it's taken on its own physical form. Yeah, it's a very respectable organization. Uh, <laughs> but they are yeah. real, and they're very big. Yeah, they, they yeah. everybody. And you can join. You can go on their website and apply to be a, a MUFON member and an investigator and go meet all these people who see UFOs and document yeah, they, their stories. They have helped uh, corroborate many, many different sightings over the years. That's very true. Yeah, but but anyway, but these people were all at this conference, and they um, it was like a five day conference, and this book was written by a journalist who was there documenting it for this for the purpose of to write this book, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, and it's it's just it's so good, uh, really enjoying it right now. Um, but hearing from the abduct the abductees talk, just you can tell they they really believe this. Like they're they're adamant. That, these things have happened to them. They, they have actually experienced going aboard these ships and meeting these beings and being impregnated with, you know, alien DNA eggs and then having the babies taken out later and going to the doctor between those two times and being, you know, told by the doctor that they are pregnant, that they test positive on a pregnancy test. And then after the second encounter, they test negative and they, they're no longer pregnant. I mean, it's just nuts. And, you know, yeah, about the abductions. Yeah, it's anecdotal. Yeah, it's anecdotal. And you look at one ca- on a case by case basis, you can dis- find a reason to dismiss any of them. Mm-hmm. But just the the fact that it's such a large collective or a large collection of stories. Uh, I don't know. There's 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 got to be some shred of credibility there. About, about, uh, about UFO abductions, I really want to say this. Uh, one of the best researchers, uh, most credible and a very respectable individual called John E. Mack, uh, in my opinion, did the best research. He's in the book. Yeah, he, he, he's probably in the book. The best research about abductions. He was, he was a Harvard professor, uh, tenured. Uh, he, he was well accomplished. And he was a psychology professor who uh, decided to uh, question the narrative of UFO abductions. Why were people... Uh, claiming to be abducted by uh, alien beings, uh, things that were known to be non-existent in society. Why would people go and claim these things, etc.? He wanted to answer these things. He wanted to un- understand if this was a psychological condition or whatnot. And uh, he started researching and going interviewing uh, abductee claims all over the world, not just U.S., but all over the world. And his findings were phenomenal. I, I, I suggest all of our listeners to just go on YouTube or internet online, just look up John Emac and uh, look up his past, look up his uh, credentials, etc. 
uh, and his findings, and it's incredible. Uh, just to skim through what he found out, from my point of view, um, he he uh, he first interviewed and uh, objectively questioned all of these abductees that he could get his hands on, and eventually he came to the point that uh, he understood that all of these people were not just claiming these things because because they wanted uh, I don't know uh, fame or uh, or attention or whatnot. They actually believed in these things. And uh, after he he came to this point, he he started to question uh, whether they were uh, these things were real or not, like whether whether these people were hallucinating or not. And in the end, he started to understand that this was a real phenomena and it was going on. And there were so many different evidence about this. I mean, um, uh, if if you look into this subject about abductions, there are many researchers. Uh, that have delved into this, and there were actually uh, physical evidence into the subject where uh, uh, supposed abductees uh, were found to have these foreign uh, substances, these foreign chips or technology in their bodies, which were found and then extracted and then analyzed. Uh, and there were incredibly uh, eye-opening uh, findings about these. And if, if you're uh, if you're curious, I would definitely suggest you look into them. But uh, John Emac uh, went into this first. Actually, um, John Emac was also the first Harvard professor that the Harvard University uh, started a, a, um, uh, a questioning and investigation into because his findings suggested that these uh, phenomena were real. So he, uh, Harvard University decided to um, analyze uh, John E. Max methods, the first in, uh, in in centuries of Harvard history, and in the end, they found out that his methods were uh, genuine. His methods were uh, true and to the point, and they uh, justified him. And uh, John E. Mac went on to talk in seminars and etc. until he died in a hit and run car accident in UK. So uh, John Emac was one of these whistleblowers or uh, researchers who tried to bring this uh, phenomena into the light. Uh, do you guys have anything? A lot of these people are dead now, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Some. Yeah, well, interestingly, uh, because I've researched a lot about whistleblowers and what they told, uh, I, I've I witnessed a lot of people who were in the midst of disseminating information uh, to uh, just lose their lives suddenly. Some of them in their prime, some of them just accidents, etc. Uh, some of them supposed suicides. I mean, uh, it can definitely be uh, commented on and discussed, but it's up to you to decide. Uh, this is a hot topic, unfortunately. And I would... Yeah, I just... Uh... Well, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say another, you know, and you can look for a lot of different stories that are out there, but the one that I've always looked at from an abduction standpoint is the one from 1961, which is a long time ago, seemingly, but uh, a couple from New Hampshire, which is near where I'm from. Um, that, Betty and Barney Hill case? Yeah, Barney and Betty Hill, yeah, uh, which mm -hmm. the two of them both underwent hypnosis related to the incident, and I can't speak to, just like you would always come across the same issue with channeling cannot tell you whether or not it is true or not. or not you know like mm -hmm. no one can ever identify that but them 
I guess, even if they, you know, and they seemingly can't, but you get a sense of emotion that, that does not approach you as falsified, despite what psychiatrists have set, tried to say following the incident in, in retrospect. But I, I do believe that, you know, at least part of that vision and what was seen is real. So, you know, again, it gives just more, whether it's all real or not, it, it credibility to the argument that it could exist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give another example. It, this is not a specific abduction case, but it was one of the cases that John Emac delved in deeply. And it, it involved a uh, kindergarten in Zimbabwe that John Emac went in and interviewed all uh, tens of different children and their teachers who claimed to have uh, seen a UFO land close by. Uh, some children even described uh, beings that came out of the craft and uh, communicated with them somehow. They pictured them, they drew them, and uh, John Emac went into deep. And there are very nice uh, excerpts from a documentary on YouTube that people, our listeners, can just go in and watch for themselves. It's a great case that uh, everybody should see. Yeah, and you know, I also want to, I don't think we've mentioned crop circles yet. I think that's a, a really huge piece of evidence. Yeah. And some of them can be debunked by, you know, people going out and bending corn stalks and, and making these patterns. Yeah. But a lot of them cannot be uh, explained mm-hmm. or they detect radioactivity um, at some of these sites. And the microwave particles in them. Yeah, there's there's like biological changes that have been documented. Suffice it to say, uh, there there have uh, this crop circle phenomenon has been going on for years on end, and uh, every season there are new crop circles, and there are there are crop circles that can be explained away by people with boards just stepping on them and creating them in a night or whatnot, and some crop circles are so accurate, are so um, full of mysterious information and and so and have like these scientific evidence in them that you can actually uh, study and find out that it is very hard to explain away with people just simple people with boars just stepping on crops yeah yeah they line up with like sacred geometry and different mathematical constants like pi and phi and to put it in perspective spiritual concept fibonacci sequence and to put it in perspective there have probably been about as they've estimated, roughly 25,000 reported crop circles since roughly 1971. There you go. If, there you if go. even 1% of those are inexplainable by man's means, then that gives you 250 individual visitations that are not explainable by our methods. So, And the same goes for UFO sightings. and uh, Because the, the main uh, strategy used by the government to, to debunk these things are that they can be explained away. But then... There's so many different sightings, uh, not, not, to, not to mention the unexplainable ones, not to mention the unexplainable ones, but the ones unexplained are basically just explained away so on a whim, on, 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 on yeah, maybe uh, this looks very similar to this phenomena that we have seen over there, whatever. And it's basically, it's, it's very easy to explain things away and then just dismiss them. Correct. And this is this is a strategy that's been using both for crop circles and every other unexplainable phenomena that exists out there. So keep this in mind. Greg, you want to add to that? No, I mean crop circles on their own could be literally an entire subject, but you know, I agree entirely. I think that you're talking about the same type of dismissal and, and lack of acknowledgement 
based on similar fears, misunderstandings, or not wanting to disclose the true reality of certain things. I think that definitely could be said about what's been learned or at least evidenced by crop circles and what they often do mimic in terms of their sacred geometry or their secret meanings. Physical constructs. I mean, even after the, the one of the best examples ever, after the stabbing in Norway, I think in 2008, the following day, uh, the crop circle appeared that mimicked the chemical structure of the the, the human uh, hormone melatonin, you know, to relax people, mm -hmm. to help them, you know, drive them to, to basically find calm, right? That's literally like the, one of those examples of a million that you could come up with. And unfortunately, I know probably too much about this subject, but it's just too much volume to deny the fact that there is something else going on there, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can dismiss away anyone, but the sheer magnitude of it is not explainable by boards in people stomping on, on oil seed and, and, and wheat. And we're not discounting the fact that there are people who are doing these things as well. Like there's, sure. they're just taking boars and actually they are stomping and just trying to... Oh yeah, them. absolutely there are. Definitely. Yeah, yeah look definitely. up Team Satan. Whatever they are, um, you know, team, the yeah, circle there's, makers. There's for sure. They make them intentionally, but mm -hmm. they don't make all of them, and that's that's yeah. the important part. So uh, to get back to whistleblowers, um, because it's it, I think from my point of view, it's a very important point uh, in all of these cases. Uh, I, I want to I want to mention a couple of different names uh, that have stuck to me over the years. Uh, these people uh, have come forward risk their lives and risk their uh, risk, risk their agreements with the government to talk about these subjects. And uh, uh, these names that I'm going to mention, I definitely suggest all of our listeners to go into if they haven't heard of them before. They have uh, many different YouTube videos. And uh, these are the names that I want to just uh, quickly skim over. Uh, honorable mentions of these whistleblowers. Bob Dean, uh, first of all. Bob Dean is an uh, old veteran who used to work in NATO during the 70s, I believe. And he was preview to a small part of this reality from the NATO's perspective. From what he tells, uh, he experienced a huge radar return of a lot of UFO aircraft or aircraft that they couldn't describe that was coming towards USA over the Europe. And they first thought they were uh, Soviet planes because this was during the Cold War era. But then it turned out that they were not. Two days after, he was actually briefed in to NATO's understanding of ET life. And he, 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 he was given this huge, like hundreds of pages uh, of, of document called the assessment, which was how NATO uh, described or tried to understand UFOs, basically. He has many different um, interviews from Project Camelot and other uh, researchers. Definitely suggest people to look into them. Uh, we have, we talked about Bob Lazar before. He is one of the oldest whistleblowers who worked in Area 51, who claimed to have worked on uh, reverse engineering UFO technology. We have Sergeant Clifford Stone, who claims to have been involved in a secret military group that was tasked with uh, identif identification and recovery of crashed alien vessels. He, he recounts his experiences. We have Gary McKinnon, uh, who is a UK resident uh, who, who knew a lot about computers, and he apparently, once in his lifetime, he hacked into NASA computers, and he found information on uh, extraterrestrial officers 
or uh, uh, or or um, government-operated spaceships that were going between between different planets and stuff that they were transporting, etc. And he's still in deep uh, law uh, dealings with USA, and he's trying to be extradited to USA from UK involving this. We have Gordon Novel, who also have worked in secret uh, government anti-gravity and UFO projects. We have uh, Larry Warren, who is one of the biggest whistleblowers of the Bentwaters uh, incident uh, or the Rendlesham Forest in- incident that have been known over the years in UK. It is a great uh, event that has many witnesses to them. They all speak out. They all tell their own perspectives. Uh, I-, I-, I suggest every listener to go listen to what they have to tell. Uh, so, uh, also, we have many other uh, credible witnesses, including uh, ex-astronauts uh, Edgar Mitchell and Gordon Cooper. These people have... Uh, these, these two people have, are uh, astronauts, NASA astronauts. Edgar Mitchell has uh, stepped on the moon. Uh, Gordon Cooper has done many missions in orbit, and etc. And they both strongly believe in the existence of ETs and that the government is hiding them. Uh, another huge, highly credible witness, not a witness, but a whistleblower, let's say, is the ex-defense minister of Canada, Paul Hellier. And he has uh, gone over uh, many different social media and uh, uh, news stations over the years. And he, and he sticks to his story and he still claims that uh, ET is a reality and uh, governments are hiding them. Uh, if you have any other people that you want my intervention, please go ahead. I, I think that you kind of covered a lot of the good ones that, that really, you know, have all their own individual stories. And there'll be a lot of similarities in them. And, you know, the only one I would add to that same group with Mitchell and Cooper and Paul Hellier in that era would be William Tompkins and what happened with uh, Admiral James Forrestal, um, the commanding uh, instructions that Tompkins received from Admiral Riccobata. And the story of Admiral Byrd and his research in Antarctica and what happened there. And I'll leave I'll leave people to do their own research into it and what he said and Definitely. taking everything with a grain of salt. But that history needs to be be learned by people in, in an objective way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that people need to, to hold with them as we go for our next episode to when we talk about this more is objectivity. Because none of this can be absorbed in a vacuum. None of us know the full reality of what all of this has meant. But taking piece by piece and, and looking at objectively will be the only way we get to anything meaningful, right? So cannot um, agree I'll, with you more. I'll leave it with that. And uh, John, if you have anything else that you want to add to our, our next, our next step here, I'll leave you, I'll leave you with that. And uh, thank everyone for our time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, I, I definitely think that um, we're going to have plenty of stuff left to talk about. Uh, to add two more names to that list, I'd say uh, Buzz Aldrin because he's uh big believer in ETs and, and alien technology and that there's life out there. Buzz Aldrin actually changed his story a couple of times. Uh, uh, no. Did he? Well, Oh, I mean, recently? I mean, not in a big way. At first, he was talking about this uh, tower on one of the moons of Mars, but then uh, maybe people got to him and he said, ah, I was just uh, speaking nonsense or something. But yeah, he, he definitely is worth listening to. I I totally agree. Yeah, he he said there was an obelisk at one mm-hmm. point. Um, he and then he punched the guy. You remember he punched the guy? I I forget his name, but that guy did a uh, a documentary too. Uh, astronauts gone wild. 
uh, which is a whole. It's I think it's hilarious because people look at the the, the headlines like Buzz Aldrin punches asshole who calls him uh, a fraud. But if you watch the interviews that he does with all of these astronauts, it's just mind blowing hearing some of their their comments. Um, Neil Armstrong's I... speech, that that infamous speech, is also worth mentioning. Uh, peeling the yeah. outer layers of truth, for example. Yeah, uh, people also need to look into that. Yeah, there's there's this topic. If you want to get into ufology. You've got a whole mess of rabbit holes to uh, go down. Grab your hard hat, grab your flashlight, grab your shovel. We're going deep. (laughs) Yeah, tie tie the string around your waist, tie it to uh, the tree behind you, and and hang on tight. We're we're going in. But um, let's uh, we're gonna end it here because we've gone way over time. Thank you everybody for listening, and uh, Valen, thank you. Greg, thank you for coming Cheers. on. I, I think we've got a uh, a new kind of side quest that we're going to go on, <laughs> which is uh, the Maybe Shelf. And this is part one. Tune in for part two. And thanks for listening. Guys, thanks for being on. Valen, last thoughts? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I just want to talk about um, uh, some of the other topics that we will be going into in other podcasts. Uh, these whistleblowers, we have so many more, and 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 the most interesting part of them is that uh, uh, have claimed that they have been and worked on the planet Mars, and uh, the, the number of whistleblowers are growing who, who claim the same thing, and 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 the information they're telling is just out of this place, and and uh, we really have to uh, go into that as well in the future. Oh, absolutely, yeah, we've. God, we've got a uh, breadth of content to, to dive into. Uh, Greg, last thoughts? Do you have anything that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Nothing more than to uh, to look forward to doing more of this and to understanding why you know this subject and some of the most finite and defined things in reality that we know now and the most obscure foreign topics are all one and the same and how they how they relate to each other. I think that will be there's so much that can kind of link all these things together. Um, that we can have an unlimited amount to talk about. So look forward to more. Cheers. Uh-huh. Yeah, join us next time, and let's go uh, a little deeper down the rabbit hole. And uh, thanks, guys. Uh, tune in next time. And uh, also, I'd just like to thank Dan Crystalis. Uh, you can find him on soundcloud.com slash dan dash crystalis, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-I-S. He made the awesome intro and outro, which you're about to hear, uh, for the podcast, and I just want to give him a huge shout-out and props. I meant to do it last episode, but forgot, so sorry, Dan. But thank you for the kick-ass theme song. Um, he's great. So, uh, yeah, thanks, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>